0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and it is episode 17 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. How the devil are you? How are you doing? Uh, um, how, yeah, yeah, really? I thought they were dead. I thought I'd killed them. I'm sorry to hear that. But thank you for joining us for another episode of Cage Rage and Nicola's Cage Podcast. Uh, a slight little change on my side of things. This time around, I have a microphone cover and a pop filter. Look at that. Only taking 17 weeks. I'm doing some proper podcasty things now. So I'm hoping it's going to hopefully make the audio sound minutely better but this is all a learning all a learning process for me it's a learning process for all of us but the biggest process of all is our continuing journey on the train to true cage nirvana um, as ever week by week we're going through the chronological order of Nicolas cage filmography um learning lessons not really but enjoying the work of the greatest actor of our generation, the greatest actor who ever was, who has ever been, whoever will be. And by the end of it, a 100 plus weeks in, we will have achieved true Cage Nirvana. You'll be better for it. I'll be better for it. Think of the size of your hog, uh, physical or metaphorical, by the end of it, and it's going to be fucking glorious. Right? Um. So, again, another... Another decent week for myself, just finished a week at work, now got a lovely week off, we'll be going to the Lake District for a few days in the middle of it, looking forward to that, weather's not looking good, but who needs the weather when you've got the good graces of our Lord and Saviour, Nicholas Cage, watching over you, that's what I ask. We start as ever, with episode 17, as any other episode, with the week in, in uh the usual hindrance to my life and yours. Uh, The Bin saga continues. Uh, Again, he's taken my bin out. He's brought it back in. We didn't ask him to do it. We didn't want him to do it. I still want to know what he wants, what his end game is, what the goal is, because I often say, right, anyone Anyone can join us on the cage train, on the cage train to True Nirvana. Um, Anyone can become an honorary rager. An honorary rager, but not him. He's not allowed. Not interested in your services, sunshine. Um, I don't care if he used to deliver and drive around organs. That's that's a thing he used to do. Thinks that gives him a tick. Thinks that's his... uh, Good, can't-make-life choices sorted out. I don't think so. I've seen that you've had people over during quarantine. I've seen that you've had, you've had laughing and chuckling away. First of all, you have friends. That's as much of a shock to me as it is anyone else, I'm sure. But you don't get a pass from me. Or say just the other day? Like, I ordered a pizza. was home alone. I'm not going to make food because I'm lazy and I'm one of those people, if you know me. Any day could theoretically be my last because I'm a burden. Now, where I live, as I've mentioned before, a little difficult to find. The delivery guy had to call up, gave him some directions, he found the house. But as he was leaving, he said thank you to Ian, who was sitting out on his bloody porch with his red face and the blazing sun, as ever, because he doesn't believe in sunscreen. Probably doesn't believe in global warming either. Probably doesn't believe in fabs. That's the kind of person he is. He looks like one, ironically enough, but he doesn't believe in him. And I'm thinking, really? You're going to take credit for my pizza as well? You won't take this from me. You won't have this in. I won't allow it. I will not allow this transgression. And I know it. that if I'd stayed out a second longer, he would have been like, oh, what you got? You got a slice for me, but I don't have time for that kind of neighbour small talk. I don't have time for it. And when I came home from work the other day, it was the uh, afternoon of the night before the bins going out. He's like, Remember, it's black bins this week, not green. Black bins this week when you take it out later. I was like, Oh, right, I'll oh, I remember this time. And then he's like, Oh, I'm like, I'm like your bin connoisseur, like your bin guidance person, aren't I? And I went, Ha ha. And then as he was still talking to me, because I'd already had enough of his shit in this 10-second conversation, I just walked inside my house and shut the door. You don't need it. I don't need bin small talk. I don't need any small talk from you. I'll give you one of those when you inhale and grit your teeth and give him a slight nod, as if you're walking past an office colleague at work. But none of that. Let's have less of that. What we will have more of, though, is the 1992 film... Starring, of course, Nicolas Cage. It's Amos and Andrew. Um, This film, the only film uh, that Nicolas Cage starred in. In the 1992 Amos and Andrew, uh, also starring, you may have heard of him, Samuel L. Ruddy Jackson, no less. Uh, The basic plot of the film, um, and it's it's kind of a weird one to describe, and you'll sort of understand why as we go into it, given... Um, the political environment at the moment it's so basically Nicholas Cage is a sort of career criminal Samuel L. Jackson stars as a very famous um, sort of author and playwright and sort of black figure um, it concerns him uh, and Samuel Jackson who plays Andrew Sterling he purchases a summer home on a as the film will let us know a largely white island and then all sorts of hijinks ensue. Um, now, it was unfortunately a little bit of a box office failure, grossed just under $10 million domestically, and um, a lot of negative reviews received quite poorly by critics, only 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. When watching this film, um, it, the act. to be fair, the acting in it really isn't, that bad um samuel L. jackson is uh quite understandably and obviously very much the the straight man his performance very much grounds the film nicholas cage this would have been quite a simple film for him to go full cage in um but i think for the best he didn't it was actually quite a grounded performance uh for the most part from cage which i was Honestly, quite surprised by the film itself, written and directed by E. Max Fry. He had an Academy Award nomination in 2015 for co-writing the original screenplay for Foxcatcher. So he's got an accolade or two to his name. Uh, And this was distributed by Columbia Pictures, produced by New Line Cinema and Castle Rock Entertainment. So again, I think this is one of those films that uh, they probably had a little bit of hope for. But didn't quite achieve there. The name is a parody of the um, old sitcom Amos and Andes, uh, which ran from the late 20s to the 60s, which was, I don't know if noble's the right word, but uh, infamous for uh, minstrel actors, white actors sort of playing black roles. Um, so it's a play on that. Um, you kind of watch the film and think, did it? It could have been titled anything else. It didn't really have to have that sort of on-the-nose connotation of white people playing black roles. Maybe it's in the sense that in the film, um, a lot of people think that Samuel Jackson's a criminal, and they only, it really, really, they only value his worth when they realise that he's uh, a wealthy playwright who's won awards and the Pulitzer Prize. A, a bit of a, a bit of a weird film to watch in the context of the BLM movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movements um, in today's age, you just know that even though it was only 30 years ago you probably would not get a film like this today and even if you did, I doubt highly that it would be portrayed as sort of a buddy comedy in the way that this one is again, odd, odd film Again, not bad, like I said the, there is a lot of hammy acting in it and the first half hour of the film is just uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Andrew Sterling, just being harassed because he's black, um, which is kind of like, okay. So the whole context of the film is basically, as I said, he he moves to an island, a summer home, um, some nosy neighbours, some absolute Karens of characters basically um, don't recognise him, and on the basis that he's black, they're out for a night walk with their dog. They see him setting up his stereo through the window, um, it's the home of someone they used to know on the island. They immediately therefore assume that he is a criminal based on skin colour alone. They call the police. Everything just escalates until they have to bring in the great equaliser, Nicolas Cage. And then um, things just escalate from there. So we'll get into... a uh, more of the nitty-gritty of the film now. So at the start, we get um, Somewhere Beyond the Sea playing, but it really should be someone, because that someone is Nicolas Cage. Samuel, L, the L stands for Loves Nicolas Cage, is taking a boat out to an island, and he sneezes, so you know he's a fucking nerd. Meanwhile, Cage's character is in a jail cell, so you know he's a badass with a bad old hog. That's basic cinematography. I studied media, At uh, A level. I got a C. So I I can tell you when something's happening on the screen. And what it means. Probably. Uh, Now Cage's character Amos has a tattoo of an eight ball. And every time you shake it. The answer is the same. Greatest actor of our generation. Or uh, piss off Ian. One of the two. Both of them. Very acceptable answers. Now the white couple that I mentioned earlier. One of them's a fat lawyer. One of them's a Karen. They even had them. In the early 90s, don't worry about it. Uh, he drives past them, he's nowhere near them, but they act like they nearly get ran over, which you probably know people like that. That's it. It's everything they do that sort of lead to the events that escalate um, towards Samuel L. Jackson's character. It's definitely what Ian would do, and that's why when I was watching the film, I immediately hated them and everything that they stood for. So he drives past them, nowhere near them. Uh, Definitely didn't run them over, but they go and spy on him because it's the house he's staying at. They have a dog as well. Always, always um, important to point out that dogs are some of the greatest actors out there, up there with Nicolas Cage. There's humans, dogs, Nicolas Cage, okay. Uh, The dog's called the Rommel, um... I think that was his name throughout the entire film. I swear at one point he was called Ronald. I swear at another point they called him Rubble. Maybe that was just me not listening. But it's my podcast, so I'm definitely right and this film was wrong. He, um, The dog runs up to the window where Sam Jackson is setting up his radio and barks at him. Now, I actually know a little bit of Hound. I think the film is supposed to imply that, oh, it's a white dog. Samuel Jackson is a black man, therefore the dog's racist hilarity will ensue, but what he's actually balking was, run human, this is about to get very racist. Nothing has ever come, in a, in a good sense, from a neighbourhood watch. Um, the only part of my neighbourhood I can watch, unfortunately, is Ian's house, uh, just as he sometimes pulls the bench out of his shed, sometimes he puts it back in his shed, sometimes he sets up a bird feeder, sometimes he mows the tiny bit of a grass that constitutes for his front lawn. Okay? So the couple are suspicious on the basis that Sam Sam Che is black. My question is, and a question that's still relevant 30 years later, when will these whiteys stop? It's a huge Ian move. He would definitely pull the same shit. So they call the police. Uh, about five police officers rock up. They're all armed. They prepare to bust in. I'm Samuel L. One of them covers his face in dirt Uh, because he says it's, well, it's because it's night ops. I mean, again, watching it with a present lens, a current context, definitely blacked up. Uh, Let's not forget, again, this film was only made in 1992. So you kind of wonder, looking back, Samuel L. Jackson, why did you agree to be in this? Nicolas Cage, why did you agree to be in this? So Andrew comes out of the house, he doesn't see that it's a cop because he's got sort of some lights blinded in his face he's got the car key in his hand because they've set off his car alarm um the eager blacktop officer mistakes it for a gun uh they all the officers suddenly start raining down bullets on the house as uh Samuel L. Jackson's character crawls back inside for cover now i ask you who was the instigator of all the bullets it was of course the blacktop officer aka officer ian And again, watching this 30 years later and you think, a trigger-happy white cops, you say? That'll never catch on. Um, They get a local reporter uh, and his camera lad, a couple of freelancers, rock up to get the sweet scoop. They'll be listening on the radio. However, none of this scoop involves Nicolas Cage, so it's never going to sell. Your hacks. The police chief, and for his character, quote-unquote, arc, he's also running to be uh, the mayor, or he is the mayor, running for re-election. It's important, because the film tells his. He gets on the line with Sammy J, and then he learns that this is actually Andrew Sterling. Turns out he's kind of a big deal. So then the chief quickly realises, right, it's, this has been a huge, deadly misunderstanding. No crime has been committed here. They've nearly killed a man in his own home. Now, because of the upcoming election... Um, he realises that if this fee fi faux pas of gigantic proportions gets out, he's going to be crucified at the elections. He's not coming back, so he needs a plan to swing this back around for the cops, make it seem like a victory for him. So what is the plan, you ask? That plan is Nicholas motherfucking Cage. So Cage is just a bit petty criminal... Um, He's been holed up, he's been trying to make it to Canada, but um, eventually on his way there, been arrested, ended up in this small island's jail cell. So they go to him with a proposition. They say, um, if you pretend to be the shooter, you go into the house, take Andrew Sterling hostage, and then you subsequently give yourself up, then it'll look good for us. We'll make sure you get out of here on the first bus to Canada Everyone goes back to their lives. We laugh it off. Ha, ha, ha. And as I said earlier at this point, um, it has been 30 minutes, well, damn near 30 minutes, uh, nearly a third of the film, and it's just been a black man getting harassed. So you can kind of imagine the the MAGA idiots, the statue-loving losers, getting absolute rocking stiffies watching this. Are people still protecting statues now? Especially in the UK, is that still a thing? Are we still protecting statues? Did that die off really quickly? After we sort of ran out of racist statues to be angry at? Um, I don't know. Answers on a postcard? Answers, as ever, to the usual social media. On Instagram, at cageragepod. Twitter, cage underscore podcast. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify as well. And also, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to kick something towards it, Kofi.com forward slash Daryl Edge, D-A-R-R-Y-L-E-D-G-E. So they get Cage out of the cell, uh, ready to operate. I don't know. I don't think it had an operation, but it's um, Operation Night Cage. Basically, is the best way to describe it, because for some reason, they also dirt his face up and black him up as well. I don't know if that was supposed to be a nod to like Amos and Andy, or what the purpose of it was. It's it's really weird. Um, it's it's really unknown why they did that. I don't know if it's a fetish thing that white cops had in the 90s. So, of the understanding that he's going to get out free, Amos Grease He breaks into the house of a shotgun, clearly a metaphor for his magnificent hog. And he finds Andrew sort of hiding under the bed, with nothing but a little frying pan to defend himself. He, he tapes Andrew to a chair and helps himself to a beer, as anyone would holding a black author to ransom. Let's be honest, we've all been there. Andrew lists his achievements to a black writer. Amos retorts that he has hay fever. And again, I ask the question, when will white people stop? Now, we go back to the nosy neighbours. They hear some of the gunfire from earlier, and they just take it upon themselves to get the local press involved, and in doing so, again, make themselves some of cinema's earliest known Karens. So a load of the um, press get involved. The local press guys from earlier, they sort of film the Karens and the police chief officer basically saying... um, that they didn't really know what was going on. It turns out that it was Andrew Sterling. Um Basically a lot of evidence. That's going to blow this whole operation wide open. So the police chief um then enters. He's basically decided to fuck them both over now. Amos and Andrew. And he advances on Amos. Telling him that they don't want the N-word. On the island anyway. Um Now as you'll hear... In this next clip, Samuel does not take too kindly to that kind of language. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that nigger thing, Mr. Sterling. I just said it in order. To... <laughs> nigger that! And rightfully so. You you use language like that, you deserve to get slapped with a frying pan at the very least. Um, so Andrew goes to leave. A number of times this film, Andrew's like, look, I've had enough of this. And you white people. But Amos points the shotgun at him and he's like, look, we're both fucked now. And I need some insurance if I'm going to make it out of here. He needs an ace up the sleeve. So they escape next door, tie up the police chief. Uh, They end up at the Karen's house and they um, meet the dog, Rommel, as well. They have a bit of um, a to and fro with the dog. He wants to shake hands or shake paw with Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, look, I don't really want to. But Nicolas Cage, the great equaliser, says dogs are blind. So there you go. Anyone that says to you, I don't see colour when you're talking about race, the only people um, who can say that are dogs. <laughs> okay. Um, so they have a little look around the Karen's house. They have a drawer full of sex toys and a tube of sex grease, which I think is what you were legally required to smear yourself in before laying with Nicolas Cage. Well, that's different. I was drunk. That there, basically a quote summarising every U-turn the UK government has ever made. Oddly enough as well, um, Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, you may better know him as, he's in the film as well as uh, a character called Reverend Brunch. It's a very strange secondary role that doesn't really need to be there. Um, with all due respect to him, because he, he does have some sort of likely funny moments in the film. Um, again, it's not outright explained what it is he does or anything really about his character. He seems to be this very loosely effeminate leader of, I think, a black liberation group who, um, when all the press are broadcasting the situation about the uh, amos and andrew hostage um ordeal that's going down they become aware of it because andrew's again sort of very famous very notable in the black community um he organizes a group of uh black protesters to come and see events through and help out andrew andrew doesn't really ever seem to be aware of who these people are or that they exist in the context of the film um Again, it's kind of like, oh, we've got two minutes of screen time left. Let's just throw a bone um, this way. Again, it's it's not that it's a terrible role. It's just one that didn't really need to be there. They sort of, sort of form their group, um, make their way to Andrew's house, and in a bit of argy-bargy with the police at the end, um, are accidentally responsible for burning the summer home down. So there's... That, there's a thing. Uh, interesting, if you want to see some early Giancarlo Esposito work, he looks very young. Uh, well, obviously, but it's 30 years ago, but uh, one of the things when he's so well-known for being uh, Gus Fring, it was quite, uh, quite eye-opening to see him in quite a uh, very different, non-threatening role for a change. But now, it's time for a returning feature of Cage Ranger Nicholas Cage Podcast, and it's Random Nick Cage Scream of the Week. Well, what if I told you we weren't in the house? Well, then I would have to say that you're a liar, Amos. Hey! Don't talk to me about lying! We then get a little scene of Andrew explaining a bit more about his backstory to Amos. He goes on to note that his father was an educated accountant that wanted the best for his son. He didn't want him to basically speak or act like a black man, quote-unquote, because his father made it in the white man's world. He wanted his son to make it in the white man's world as well. Um, Adding that, his father worked for the accounting company for 38 years, retired a full partner, but then, when he passed away a week later... No one except for the only other Black at company, an old janitor, attended the funeral. So because of that, he's never forgotten who he was or where he came from. After that, the Karens return home. Amos takes them hostage. They do try to play nice and say that even though they've caused all of this, they'd still like to meet Andrew's wife and... Invite them round, uh, even if she is white, because no one's judging in this film, obviously, because they're a very lovely open-minded suburban couple unlike Ian. Amos attempts to escape with the three hostages. The Karens will not give up their keys. If I was Amos, honestly, I would have unloaded an entire round into them, uh, which shows that Cage has infinitely more restraint than a mere mortal like you or me. May one day I be blessed with the mere sight of his hog to show me the error of my ways. Mr and Mrs Gilman! Well. (laughs) What's on this, Phil? Something kinky? So Amos and Andrew, as you can see in that clip, they finally... Watch the tape that they had secured from the police chief a little earlier in the film, uh, which finally reveals the testimony of the Karens in believing that Andrew was a criminal. So, sort of understanding where this has happened from and the situation a little bit more now. Amos orders a pizza. His idea is that he can steal the pizza van. When he was being escorted to the house earlier, he saw a pizza girl... Driving the pizza van, take a drink every time I say pizza. Uh, when the delivery girl does arrive, they see that there's actually no barricade outside. Um, now, Stacy, the pizza girl, immediately has the hearts for Cage, rightfully so. Why wouldn't you? She explains that she knows exactly who he is. She's been watching the drama unfold on TV all night, so she knows who he is, and then explains that she's 17 and, under questioning from Cage, not in love with her boyfriend. Before giving Cage her number. Even in the middle of a hostage crisis, he's laying the groundwork for future raw dogs. Um, now, I don't know the age of consent in America or what it might have been in the early 90s, but let's just assume that um, she would grow up to become 25. That sounds like the age of consent in America, probably. And then they raw dogged after the film had ended in the future. And in my books, that continues the raw dog streak. Don't at me. So Andrew realises that Amos has been used as a ploy so that the police can save themselves. He then Amos then gives the videotape to Stacey and he asks her to give it to one of the reporters so that they've got a bit of insurance a little bit ahead of time. So Officer Ian, again blacked up, enters the long abandoned house of Andrew. I'm almost positive Ian has tried to do this in my house and I've been at work. I have no doubt in my mind he will try to do it when I'm away from the house later this week. So they attempt to um, escape again. After an argument, Amos and Andrew have a little scrap outside the house before Amos is undone by freshly cut grass. Hay fever, be damned. Andrew admits there may be some truth to what Amos said. uh, Basically saying everyone's got problems, you can't just blame Blackness for everything. Again, I think we'd probably see that quote in a slightly different light in uh, 2020. Um, But Andrew says, I should be able to set up a stereo in my own home without being labelled a thief. And I believe we should all be in agreement with that at the very least. So they go their separate ways. Amos steals the Karen's car. Andrew leaves to go back to his house. But he's suddenly pursued by bloodhounds. Um, Again, with this scene, I don't know if that's supposed to be a nod to roots there um, or what the what the intention was but Amos sees this happening he intercepts in the stolen car and saves Andrew they drive away and now see because of the uh, scuffle I mentioned earlier between the Giancarlo Vesposito group and the police, the house is now burnt down. Oddly enough Andrew is not really angry about this I suppose he's been through enough and that's kind of the least of his problems But, jointly angry at what the police chief has done to both of them, um, they summon the bloodhounds over. Sammy Jack-Jack summons the bloodhounds, gets them to sniff the police chief's badge that they also nabbed earlier. They nabbed a lot of stuff. And sets the bloodhounds on them. Uh, Amos comments that he has a criminal mind, meaning Samuel L. Jackson has finally earned the respect of Nicholas Cage and been awarded the coveted position... Of Deputy Hogger. See, if you believe you two can achieve anything. Uh, Andrew finally allows Amos to call him brother. And lets him keep a watch that he stole. I think this now makes Nicholas Cage an honorary black man. Hey, I don't know how it works, but I'm just reporting back what I saw. So the police chief is chased by the bloodhounds. And then it kind of fades out and freeze frames. So you don't actually find out what happened to the police chief Um, Was he mauled to death by hounds? Was he uh, stripped of his police chief role and disgraced? We don't ever know. Uh, The Karens, likewise, were tied up in kinky bondage gear. As far as we're concerned, they are still there by the end of the film. Uh, A few little loose threads. I think it would have been nice to know what... More than anything, what happened to the police chief, because he's the person who really needed to get his comeuppance. All we know is that he ran away. So... Amos meets with his wife. Um, she's black, by the way. The only reason I mention that is because they keep making joking references to oh I get it, you're like this because you've got a white wife. I don't mind. Um and then it's almost like it's supposed to be a big reveal that he has a black wife. Um a bit of a bit of a weird intention with that one. I don't know, you kind of gotta see it to believe it. So Cage finally tries to drive away to Canada south on the I-95. Um I don't get the reference. I'm I'm English. I don't know if he made it, if that's the wrong way. It is mentioned that he has a poor sense of direction. That's kind of a throwaway gag earlier in the film. Um, Is this American motorway humour? Because I feel like it is. And this is the kind of thing that Ian would laugh about. But I'm going to assume that he made it to give us all the happy ending that we need here. And as the credits roll, we get the... uh, I think written for the movie song "Suburban Nightmare by Sir Mix-a-Lot plays. You don't get rap names like that anymore, do you? Let's bring back the fun rap names, like Sir Mix-a-Lot. Um, Nick Cage could be Sir Hog-a-Plenty. Sororus sir <laughs> us dog as well. sir Rorus Dogus. Or, this is the thing I found as well, this is one of those songs that... Um, Basically, summarizes the entire film as well. So, if you'd rather not spend 90 minutes watching Game of and Andrew, just listen to the three minute, four minute song Suburban Nightmare, and that will sum up the entire film for you as well. Little spoiler for you. Um, and then, in a post credit scene, we are shown the Bloodhounds and Rommel, uh, the dog of the racist Karens, uh, running around in the field, no doubt inspired by Cage, to pursue some quite literal raw-dogging off their own. Um, It's an interesting character arc for the dog, Rommel, as well. I suppose because he's white and Sam Jackson is black, he kind of is supposed to slightly assume that maybe the dog is racist, but then he ends up joining Amos and Andrew and just following them around for no particular reason, because he's not a racist dog. So everyone's got some odd character arcs in this film. I mean, yeah like so so, by the end of this film, it was I was kind of expecting it to be worse than it was. It wasn't actually bad um, I think this rather than the writing and the direction of the film um, I would say this is genuinely more down to the acting chops of um of Samuel L Jackson and Nicholas Cage. honestly, they hold the film together and make it watchable. I was surprised at how watchable this film was. I mean, like the like the title it implies, it's supposed to give some kind of cheeky, light-hearted exploration of racism. It just becomes a bit mismatched. It starts out, promisingly enough, and although the script does kind of crumble and fumble, Away, um, like I say, he's Fry is obviously good, a writer. It's the film just seems to descend into a much more implausible scenario and wackier than it really needs to be. Um, they're trying to give this idea of fun comic chaos to an otherwise awful, awful misunderstanding. Um, Again, little, little heavy-handed, um, tries to go for some low-hanging fruit to touch on some serious and, again, still unfortunately relevant uh, themes in today's day and age. Um, but again, even though Sam Jackson and Nick Cage are the standouts of the film, without them the film wouldn't be watchable. Um, It still is watchable. It did go quite quickly. I didn't find myself getting too bored with it. There were some stretches when uh, they try a bit too hard for laughs and um, it just becomes a little bit dry. But Cage and Jackson get some nice monologues. Uh, They get some nice scenes together. Um, Anyone else, the characters just wouldn't have been as believable. Um, The only sort of believable thing in the otherwise... All the other characters are pretty outlandish. Uh, The only sort of believable thing is that white folks can be quite racist and cops can be very much corrupt. It just didn't feel like the film paid off a lot of setups too much. So I would say, for me, overall, I mean, as a Nicolas Cage film, of course, 10 out of 10... Um, I would give this probably a a bronze cage. It's okay. It's slightly better than it probably should be. It probably seems more affecting on paper, but um, a little too heavy-handed, a little mismatched. The film does sort of buckle eventually. But if you want to see some Sam Jackson work and some Nicolas Cage stuff for the sake of completionism, then uh, check this one out. It's available on Amazon Prime. $2.49 249 to rent 349 to purchase um but that brings us to the end of the episode i hope you enjoyed it glad to have you here as ever we will see you in the next one next week one i'm very excited for it's 1993's deadfall a film that holds a rotten tomato rating of 0% and i cannot tell you how excited I am. That film is also available on Amazon Prime, so if you want to watch that ahead of time please do. Um, We will see you then. Until then, keep on keep on caging. Uh, Bye!